binge drinkers generally seem to have talked themselves out of the fact that they have a drinking problem. They often see themselves as normalish drinkers because it has been normalized in society. And so for me, one of the turning points was really self-responsibility for a drinking problem and that binge drinking is as much of a problem as other um, alcohol use disorders. And I think once binge drinkers realise that, that actually helps them to take steps to start to look at their own patterns of drinking. Welcome to the Tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to Tribe Sober episode 113. My name is Janet Gorond. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol and then to go on and actually thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last six years, we've helped hundreds of people to do just that. We created Tribe Sober because we learned from experience that it's really hard to change your drinking habits alone. So at Tribe Sober, we're all about community. And each week, we feature a community voice, just to give you a flavor of the awesomeness of our tribe. I must say, I think I'm amazing. But yeah, it's 100 and, let's have a look, 120, 122 days. And I haven't had a drink. And uh, and never in my life did I think I'd do this. So it's, uh, I've got my 71st birthday on the 8th of December. And I've given myself, or you've given me, the best birthday present ever. So if you want to join our warm and welcoming community, then just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. Accepting that we have a problem with alcohol and reaching out for help is the hardest step of all, and it took me many years to do this. And once I'd accepted that I would have to make a change, I then had to work out the how. I trotted down to AA, but that wasn't my scene at all, and then I went to a workshop in London. They gave us some tools and most importantly connected us with others on the same path. Other functioning alcoholics who were holding it all together yet downing at least a bottle of wine a night. So I got through my early sobriety using those tools and connecting with the people I'd met on the workshop. They were my people. I pretty much thought I'd got it nailed but it was still a major struggle and I was beset by many attacks of FOMO. I was dutifully working my way through the quit lit, but one day I picked up a book that changed everything for me, The Naked Mind by Annie Grace. That book was a revelation to me. I finally understood how we're being manipulated endlessly by the liquor industry to believe that we need their toxic product to enjoy our lives. I started to see things quite differently. I started to laugh when yet another booze advert came on TV or another glamorous movie star poured herself a huge glass of wine. I started to realise what the missing piece had been all along. It was mindset. Until I read The Naked Mind, I'd been white-knuckling my sobriety, so I was missing the most important piece of all. That's why we say the objective of our workshop is to create a mind shift. We know that we have to enable you to change your thinking about drinking if you are to go on and actually thrive in your alcohol-free life. Our next workshop is coming up on June the 25th, so just go to tribesober.com and hit our services to learn more. So now you've heard what a game changer The Naked Mind was for me, you'll understand why I'm thrilled to welcome one of Annie Grace's mindset coaches as my guest this week. 
Catherine Elliott shares her personal story with us and explains why binge drinkers often don't even realize that they have a problem. I began by asking Catherine to introduce herself. So I'm based in Melbourne in Australia where I have lived and where I've grown up and lived for most of my life. I am this year, 2022, turning 50, which is quite a milestone and one that I'm actually very much looking forward to. And I live um, in Melbourne with, I have three teenage sons, Oscar, who's nearly 17, Tom, 15, and Hugo, 13, and my husband, Paul, who I've been also, we have a milestone of 20 years marriage this year. And I um, I work as a, an alcohol mindset coach trained through this naked mind um, specialise in helping men and women who identify as binge drinkers. I also work with full drinkers, but binge drinkers are my specialty. I saw a niche in the market and it's also, I guess, the pattern of drinking that I really related to um, that started for me um, as a teenager in the 80s when I was 14 years old. Thank you, Catherine. Yeah, that, that's very interesting. Um, the binge drinking thing. Yes, I, I was definitely one of those. I mean, I used to drink pretty much every day, but reasonably for my 20s and 30s. But I definitely had the odd binge now and again where I blacked out. So I think the, the binge drinking thing is very interesting. So uh, we'll talk more about that. But just take us through your, your drinking career, your story. You say you started very young, 14. So how did it develop? <clears throat> yeah, I think, um, you know, at 14, like most Australian teenagers, I experimented with alcohol with with a girlfriend, we stole some spirits out of my parents' cupboard, and I think we we experimented both with drinking and smoking on the same night. So I think we bought a packet of cigarettes, and we also bought um, a uh, we also got a, you know a, a, a I think a bottle of gin it was, and drank it between the two of us, and it was uh, one of those. <laughs> nights that I'll never forget we both ended up in the bath vomiting out of our heads um, not feeling great at 14 but there was something I remember in that first drink where there was an allure to me with alcohol it's sort of just even that feeling of losing my my head felt kind of good and I felt like I was doing something that I shouldn't have been doing and I didn't really start drinking a lot. I did try drinking again, I think, you know, at at certain times. But it was, I guess, when I was 16 that I really started what I would call binge drinking regularly on weekends. Uh, I think what became very real for me was that I had quite a high tolerance to alcohol for a woman, for a girl. And I was able to keep up and drink with Yeah, well, I I must say, Catherine, thinking about thinking about a 14-year-old drinking half a bottle of gin. I mean, you must have felt so ill. I'm amazed it didn't put you off for life. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's the thing. We all sort of start drinking with not a great experience, but there's something that we keep pushing through. And, you know, I think growing up in Australia, there's just so much cultural um, pressure and normalization of drinking everywhere at every every party, every milestone. You know, we saw our parents growing up drinking a lot of barbecues and having fun. So there was something, you know, there was a lot of underlying messages that it should be enjoyable. So I think even if you don't enjoy that first experience, you often push through uh, and and feel like you need to start enjoying the taste or or start to, you know, enjoy the social aspects of drinking, and which is then what happens, I think, when I was 16, 17, 18. It was just part of all the social um, functions that I attended. And I got into a pattern of drinking a lot and drinking regularly. So, you know, I would drink Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights, sometimes on Sundays. There was never an off switch for me. It was just pretty much go for it and recover, go for it and recover. And it was what everyone was doing. I mean, I know there were some people who were probably drinking less than I was, 
and some who were drinking more. But I didn't feel like my pattern of drinking was anything overly problematic at that point in time. But what I did see as warning signs even back then was that I had blackouts. I started having blackouts at 16 and 17 and they were scary and they were severe and they caused me to not remember parts of nights. They caused me to to do things like I, I, I drunk and drove one night and I can't even remember driving. I would wet the bed sometimes. So there were there were definitely some early warning signs of some, I guess, quite destructive patterns of drinking and behaviour that was really worrying. But again, I didn't really think about reducing my drinking at any point during that time. Yeah. yeah. I, th- I think those blackouts, Catherine, are oh, so scary, aren't they? When When I think back now, because I was blacking out, well, not that regularly, but now and again, like like yourself. And my worst blackout was when I was 25 years old and I passed out in the bath and I nearly drowned. You know, I had to be resuscitated. I mean, when I think back, my God, what was I thinking? But uh, we just, my friendship group, we, we just all laughed about it and wrote it off as, oh, another one of those crazy nights. You know, it's we're really playing with danger, aren't we? And also what she said, I think it's such a dangerous sign. If you haven't got an off switch, I was like that too, you know. I could white-knuckle sobriety for a few days and then I would think, oh, I'll I'll just have two glasses of wine tonight, but it's hopeless, you know. And and once you start, it's it's like something something takes over, doesn't it, and you can't stop. Yeah, absolutely. And, And that's what I hear from a lot of binge drinkers, just this notion of no off switch just doesn't exist. For me, it existed in abstinence. So I could stop drinking and not drink for a week, two weeks, a month. So I was very good at doing the dry Julys and the Fed fasts and those types of months. But almost gave me permission to have a binge beforehand and a binge afterwards. So it didn't actually address the, you know, I guess the the pattern of drinking that was really destructive. It in fact, in some ways reinforced it for me. And I yeah. think yeah. that is, you know, obviously any level of, of reducing your drinking is a good thing. But in terms of long-term change, for me, you know, using willpower and just stopping for a month, didn't help me understand what brought me to where I was, why I was drinking in that way, and also addressing the, you know, breaking through the actual long-term binge drinking cycle that I had got myself caught up in. I think that the binge drinking, Catherine, it's so dangerous because our liver doesn't have a time to recover. You know, I interviewed a doctor about this and he was explaining that, you know, after a binge, our liver actually probably certainly if we're women, you know, we need at least a month to recover from that. But we just think, oh, the hangover's fine. So I can have another drink now. <laughs> but in fact, you know, what's going on inside, you know, and we've, we're both breast cancer survivors. So, uh, you know, the, the damage is, is taking place. However fine we feel a few days after the binge. So you, you could do dry January. Um, <laughs> Did you try and moderate? Did you try and cut down? Because that's another trap, isn't it? I mean, I was stuck in that for 10 years because I couldn't uh, imagine my life without alcohol. I thought, well, that would be so dull. You know, I don't want that Mm. kind of life. But surely I can control this stuff. Did you go down that path? Oh, yes, definitely I did. For a long period of time, I, I really flirted with the idea of moderation. I thought that a life without drinking was going to be a life that I didn't want to lead. So I really held on to the concept of there must be another way of being able to control my drinking without actually stopping drinking. And so moderation to me appeared in many guises. It was doing, you know, months off drinking. It was trying to limit the number of drinks when I went out. It was trying to stop drinking during the week, all of which I did quite well. But it didn't stop me from having binges because I would always end up back in a binge at some point in time. It didn't matter what I did in terms of moderation, rules around my drinking, because my body and brain had been taught to respond to alcohol and want more alcohol and anticipate more alcohol, 
it would eventually get to that point where I would binge again and then end up feeling very ashamed, despondent, um, hard on myself, and also very alone, wondering why can't I control this? Uh, my life is pretty functional in many other areas. I, I'm committed to health. Now, I was a, a fairly healthy person in most other areas, but here was this kind of dirty binge drinking shadow sitting at the bottom <laughs> of, of mother all the time, just rearing its ugly head. And it did yeah. that for, for, yeah. 30, for 30 years. And um, wow. Yeah it's, yeah, it's so ironic, isn't it? Because many of us, I mean, I was too, many women are so health conscious. You know, we're gluten-free, we do our yoga, we exercise, we eat organic, and then we drink a bottle of wine every night mm. or, or we have our yeah. binges. It, it's so incoherent, isn't it? It's like the last piece in the puzzle. You know, it's the last thing we're, we're prepared to get rid of, isn't it? We just cling on to it. So, so what made you finally decide? to stop did you have a, a rock bottom like I did or or did you just think one day I've had enough of this I didn't have necessarily a rock bottom but and it was it sort of crept up on me I think in my 40s I really early 40s I really started to question my drinking and question I guess part of me thought that maybe I'd grow out of it you know I'd grow out of binge drinking and I think I'd come to this realisation that, no, I wasn't going to grow out of binge drinking. I was 40, 41, 42, and I was still having these binges. And they weren't actually getting better. They may have been getting less often, but I was still having quite severe blackouts at times, and they were really starting to worry me. A couple of events happened in my 40s. One was I was a bridesmaid at my younger brother's wedding and I got very, very drunk. I, I, I was going through some emotionally difficult times at, at the same time in my marriage and we'd had some financial problems and I drank a lot very quickly and ended up having, you know, words with my mum and was very disrespectful and I couldn't even remember it. I also fell and hurt my hand woke up and I, I, I just couldn't piece together the night. And so that was really embarrassing for me. I had to front up the next day and talk to my mum about what had happened. And, you know, my emotional regulation in terms of how I spoke to her that night, there were other people around. It was all of the things that happen when you're really drunk in that you just, you can't, you don't make good decisions. Um, the things that I was saying were really, they weren't really how I felt. That was one occasion and then I think about two years later I had a really, uh, again, I had a binge on a family holiday and ended up very drunk in front of my three children and they were incredibly worried about me. The last I remember is having a, about to have another espresso martini and then I woke up in bed with a throbbing head because I'd hit it trying to get up the stairs when my husband and kids were trying to get me home and my boys were just distraught because they thought that I was going to die because I was so it was that real heavy drunk when you're not can't walk properly and so when that happened I remember sitting on the beach because we were on holiday and just crying my eyes out and saying to myself you have a problem you have a binge drinking problem you need to do something about it you actually need to take alcohol out of your life for a while and you need to do it soon and so I remember thinking those thoughts and thinking I think that's the only way for me and so I came back to Melbourne I took maybe a month off uh, and then I started drinking again I didn't have any hugely bad binges after that but I decided pretty much the July of that year so this that holiday was in the April that I was going to stop for an indef indefinite period of time and that was when I also came across the alcohol experiment with Annie Grace and so I decided to join her live alcohol experiment and just start to receive the information and join the community. Had you already discovered Annie's book before you joined? No, I'd, I think I'd heard about it, but I hadn't read it. No, so I sort of joined without having a huge amount of information about Annie or the work that she had done. The one switch in my mindset 
compared to any other time that I'd stopped drinking was that I went into it without an intention of going back to drinking at a certain time. So I decided that I wanted to commit to not drinking for an extended period of time. I didn't know what that was going to be. And that felt better to me because when I had timeframes on things, that was just giving me permission to start drinking again. I think I realized that I needed at least 12 months to see what life was like without alcohol and whether or not it felt okay and how I'd go with social occasions without drinking and just all different things that come into your life. And so that was the approach and it felt good. And being part of the alcohol experiment felt so empowering because it made me feel not alone. I saw that there was a huge community all over the world of people who struggled with their relationship with alcohol. Some binge drinkers, some not. It didn't really matter. It just made me feel like it's actually not my fault that I'm in this situation. Alcohol is a highly addictive substance. And the way that I have ended up being a drinker is just a result of that addiction, really. So that made me feel better. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. Once we once we're able to drop the shame and realize, you know, it's not us that's broken, it's it's society that's broken, in my opinion, that we all mm. we all have to be surrounded with this stuff. It's it's a huge relief, isn't it? And just to connect with other people and, and I love the recovery community because we all understand each other kind of instantly, don't we? There's there's such an authenticity there. Yeah, there's a beautiful, there's su- you're so right, there's such a deep connection and authenticity in our community. We all see each other. To be seen is so important as a human and I think that's what I love about the community because already that veneer is taken away and you feel seen and understood. So, you know, my friends in the sober and coaching community are really deeply connected friends because we are supportive of one another. We know what we've been through. We also know what we've achieved to, I guess, choose to live in a way that the majority of the people around us are not choosing an alcohol-free life. So in a way, you're going against the tide, you're going against the grain and that can be difficult. It can feel uncomfortable. And it, it for me, it still does feel uncomfortable at times, not because I don't want to be living like this, but just because I sometimes feel, feel judged. I sometimes feel that some of the friendships that I used to have are not the same. I still feel that maybe we don't get invited to as many things as we used to yeah, because sure. neither of us drink. So there's all of that that you manage along the way as well. Yeah, we we almost have to be rebels, don't we? Um, you, you were talking about when you were 14 with your friend, you know, you got your bottle of gin and your cigarettes. You must have felt so kind of radical and rebellious drinking. But these days, because it's so normalized globally, not just in Australia, we're the rebels, you know, because we're going against the flow. So the rebellious stance is, is to not drink. I do think more and more people are finding this route, but it's still obviously got a long, long way to go. Yes, and I like that because I have always identified with being a bit of a rebel. So I actually, I do really connect with that in this community because I think we are trailblazers. I think yeah. what we're doing is leading the way for the future and that feels actually really powerful and you know I can see now things are changing in in society like I went to a big Mm. music event in Melbourne on the weekend at we've got a venue an outdoor venue here Sydney Meyer Music Bowl and I went to the bar to order some drinks and for the first time ever they had a huge sign alcohol free drinks and there were six or seven different options And I literally did a happy dance inside. I was like, this (laughs) is incredible because there's demand. If 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 they're if they're serving these types of drinks at an event this large and a venue this large, the tide is changing. I'm seeing this happening everywhere. So it's really starting to Yeah. yeah, I really feel like things are starting to change a lot. 
Yeah, me too. We've had, we've got an online shop here called Drink Nil, and and they have um, about a hundred alcohol free choices, and you can have them delivered to your door. You know, that's making such a change because when I gave up drinking uh, seven years ago, there was nothing. You know, so I would go to an event, and I, I would feel even more grumpy and sorry for myself. You know, in early sobriety, because I'd have to have water or coke or something. So. Mm. Um, yeah, it's. I think that's a hugely positive sign. And have you seen this magazine yet? You know, there's a, a magazine called Ola Sober, and mm. it's all about sobriety. It's absolutely beautiful. It's a hundred pages every month, and she's the editor, who's a fabulous woman. She's uh, she's trying to make sobriety as glamorous as we all used to think drinking was. <laughs> and you know, if any sobriety needs a rebrand, and if anyone can do it, this lady can. She's called Susan Christina. She's fabulous. I'm so excited about that magazine. Oh and, yes, I um, actually stumbled across it about a month ago. It's beautiful. I, so incredible I, I completely agree with you it was really yeah um I spent a lot of time going through it and just thinking this is this is something really special it is it is and also there's so many online sobriety groups you know like tribe sober and there's there's many more because again seven years ago when I wanted to get sober I had to go to AA because there was nothing else and AA didn't work for me so you know I had to carry on looking and until I I went to um, a group in London actually in the end and then I found my people and then it worked you know but you have to connect with the right people don't you so the alcohol experiment, did it? you were a drinker at the beginning and you weren't at the end? Is that how it worked? <laughs> kind of. I guess the, the difference during the alcohol experiment was the information that I started to receive over that month started to, I guess, question some of the beliefs and thoughts that I'd had around drinking and the information that I was getting, even the science-based and health-based information about alcohol I hadn't received before, just started to change the way I was feeling about drinking. And at the end of the month, I just asked myself the question, do I feel like going back to drinking at the moment? No, I didn't. I actually thought I want to continue this path. I want to continue reading more about sobriety. I wanted to get into more into sort of, you know, the quit literature. I really wanted to immerse myself more more in it. And that's what I decided to do. And so after, you know, July, moving into August, I thought, fine, I'll I'll continue to to live alcohol free and continue to experiment with how it feels I was very curious about it because I was also feeling really good I was feeling you know my sleep had started to improve I I was starting to feel better when I was at the gym but then of course with everything in life you get thrown a massive curveball (laughs) and at at the end of August I was around to get ready for work it was a Wednesday morning I think around eight o'clock and, you know, my life changed forever. I, I ran out of the bathroom. I just bought a new floor to wall mirror. And for some reason, I almost had a download. You know, I have to go and have a look at my body in the mirror. I had my, I had my underpants on. I had nothing else on. I, don't, I didn't normally do that. And I went and stood in front of the mirror and started kind of looking. And then on the top of my right breast, I could see that there was a a dimpled sort of raised piece of skin there and I my hand went to it straight away and there was a large lump there and I knew instantly as soon as I felt the lump that it was it was breast cancer it was and I'm not a glass half empty person but I, I knew and so within two days after that I had a diagnosis of you know locally advanced breast cancer and started a six-month you know, chemotherapy regime the following week. And then I had um, surgery and radiation and other treatments. So it was just a really, you know, alongside my sobriety kind of the beginning of my sobriety journey, I had, I was thrown this huge life trauma. And I guess I did have the thought about, I've never been through a trauma in my life without drinking before. How am I going to do this? Normally, to cope through something traumatic, I drink to numb to 
you know, catch up with friends. And so these questions started coming up for me. But what really, the truth that came to me at that point in time was very much that I had to keep my body and mind in the best possible place that I could and that drinking had no place in that. Did you know at that time, Catherine, that there was a link between heavy drinking and breast cancer? Because when I was diagnosed, which uh, was back in 2006, I was drinking heavily, but I had no idea there was a link. And, you know, I think even if I had, I'm not sure I would have uh, changed very much. But did you, were you aware that there is a link? I mean, the evidence is out there these days. I I was aware there was a link, but I had no idea of the, I guess, direct link. I had no idea that even low to moderate amounts of drinking can increase your risk of breast cancer by quite quite an amount. So, you know, some research now shows that even, you know, three or four drinks per week yeah. can increase your risk of breast cancer by, you know, between 10 and 14%. Um, so no, I wasn't aware of that. And I think in my mind, I knew there was a link, but I thought that would only happen to someone who was an out and out alcoholic, right? <laughs> I'm using a label here. But oh, yeah. what became very apparent to me as I started to do a lot of research, because I'm a, I'm quite a, um, I'm a person who goes on feeling and intuition quite often now. And so when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, what came to me was, I think this has something to do with your binge drinking. Now, whether that's true or not, um, for me, it felt like it was. And so I wanted to do some research into it. And I did. And what I found was that there, there are absolute links between binge drinking and higher rates of breast cancer, particularly estrogen-driven breast cancer because alcohol increases the circulate, you know, the circulation of estrogen in our system. And so when I found this information out, I actually felt relieved, to be honest. I thought, you know what, if I am now taking out a big lifestyle risk factor out of my life now by not drinking, I felt like that was really empowering in terms of getting through breast cancer, but also life after breast cancer. And so for me, it's been a big source of comfort from that perspective. I think you're right there, Catherine, because um, we, we can never guarantee that our breast cancer won't come back. But um, I always feel, I mean, I'm due to go for a mammogram now. At least I feel, you know, when I'm waiting for the appointment, you know what it's like, you feel nervous. At least I know that I'm doing everything I can to prevent it coming back. And if it does come back, then I'm not going to feel guilty as well as all the other emotions, you know, that I've brought it on myself. So I think it really gives you peace of mind if you have had a, a cancer diagnosis and you're in recovery from that as well. Yes, absolutely. And I think the thing is that, you know, there are obviously other things that contribute to, to can you know, cancer, whether it's, you know, stress, family history, you know, weight, there's all sorts of different things. But I guess for me, by taking alcohol away and out of my life, it's created a ripple effect that has really improved many other aspects of my life as well, so that I'm living a much more purposeful, driven life, both through my work, but also through the people I spend time with as well. My relationship with my husband is so much better than it was when we were drinking. And he gave up too, didn't he? <laughs> yes. And he had his own drinking problem. So we were both enabling each other in kind of a dysfunctional drinking relationship as well. But even entangling yourself out of that in a in a long-term marriage requires work. It's not an easy thing to do. Um, and I, I, I couldn't lose myself in worrying about what he was going to do. I had to focus on what I was going to do as well. Um, and I think he made his decision based on the fact that when I was going through cancer, he actually started to drink a lot more and it it was really affecting how he could support me and the family. And so he chose to take it out because he realised that it was taking him down a road that was only going to lead to our family maybe not staying together. 
um, and him not being in a good place. And so he is now, I think, a year and a half alcohol-free. I'm two and a half years. And it's really been another gift for us both to be able to kind of support each other. Um, and imagine uh, imagine what good role models you're being for your teenage sons. <laughs> yes, <laughs> even though it doesn't stop them from experimenting with alcohol, though. <laughs> no, but at least you can talk to them, you know, you can come from a moral high point because otherwise you can't say anything, can you, really, without being a hypocrite? Well, definitely. And the thing that I've noticed is that I'm much more present around the kids on weekends and Friday nights and Saturday nights. Whereas before when I was drinking, it was all about me and drinking. And now I can pick them up, drive them, be aware as to what they're up to, what they're doing. And I think that for me feels so much better because I know a lot of, you know, a lot of people who are our age who are drinking and parenting teenagers Often on the weekend, they're completely oblivious. They have no idea what's going on because they're getting to smash themselves and yeah. have no presence in their situation. So let's talk about the coaching now, Catherine. When did you decide that you'd like to try coaching? I think it was, um, funnily enough, after I'd done the alcohol experiment and I'd read this, I started to read This Naked Mind and I um, actually reached out. I don't know whether I emailed Annie directly, but just saying that if there was ever a coaching program or opportunity, I'd be really keen to hear about it and be involved. I was just so passionate about the methodology and the way, the approach from This Naked Mind, which was all about it was very compassion-led. There was a lot of hope and positivity. After submitting the email, I didn't hear back straight away, but I think it was probably about six months later I got an email to say, would I be interested in applying um, for the next intake of this Naked Mind coaches? And so I started the training in March last year in 2020 and became a certified coach six or seven months later and the training was very intensive just yeah one of the most brilliant things I've I've ever done and and so I set up my own coaching business pretty much straight away the alcohol mindset coach and I have been so blessed and lucky to have really generated some you know some great work and clients ever since I started in August last year so um, I feel like I've found my true calling in life. I just, I love the work that I do. It just, it, it feels so, it just feels so powerful to, to change people's lives and to help them change their lives, basically. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. Well, congratulations. I mean, I, I love Annie's book. I actually read it, I think it came out when I was in very early sobriety. And it really shifted my thinking, you know, because I didn't realize it was all about mindset. You know, I'd still been white knuckling it at the beginning, but mm. she, I think she's, it's just a game changer, that book. She, she's amazing. On your um, email, you've got this nice little thing. I only just noticed it this morning about three pillars to change your relationship with alcohol, basically. You talk about knowledge, emotion, and action. I like that. Tell us a bit more. This is where, you know, this is how the programs work with, with my clients is we start with, with knowledge and education around, around alcohol and drinking um, because what, what we find is that most people don't know a lot about alcohol and no. how it affects, um, you know, all of our organs, um, our sleep, our immune system. I mean, there's so much of a ripple effect of of, of alcohol in our bodies and so that's kind of the place where we start it's really about being curious and open to new information and seeing how that makes you feel um, and so it starts with knowledge and then emotion so that's changing your emotions so the second part of programs is often um, looking at people's own thoughts and beliefs around drinking so we look kind of back at your own drinking history and why you like to drink or why you think you like to drink. 
you know, there's many, there's many, I guess, um, thoughts and beliefs that that come up quite a lot. And you know, one of them might be, you know, I'm I'm boring without drinking. And so we kind of look at these thoughts and 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 pull them apart. And often underneath it, people realise that they've held this long-term belief because of something that's either happened in the past or something that they've been, been told by someone and that if you have a thought and you always focus on that thought, you're always going to think that. But it's quite simple. Sometimes you just need to create a new thought that serves you better, that you still believe and move away from the old thought and start focusing on that. And then your brain starts to create new new neural pathways once this thought starts to develop and that's how we change the way we feel it takes time it doesn't happen overnight but people find this method so powerful because often we've never questioned any of our thoughts and beliefs and that's all of this unconscious conditioning that has been driving our drinking behavior and without consciously questioning some of these thoughts and beliefs we can't change the unconscious, which is what is driving our behaviour. And so that's part of that kind of emotional block of work. And then emotion, once we have new and positive emotion and we feel differently, that's how action and long-term change takes place. So that's why those three words are there because they're kind of the pillars Mm. of Annie's program, but they're also the pillars of how I coach my clients as well. Yeah, that, that's beautiful. It makes so much sense. I mean, I always say to people, you know, learn everything you can, listen to the podcast, read the quick lit, because the more you understand about alcohol and the harm it does us, the less we feel like drinking it really, I think. And the, the limiting beliefs, yeah, I think that's so key. I remember she says in The Naked Mind that we have to be curious, discover what our limiting beliefs are. And then I think she says something like just shine a light on them and then they'll they'll kind of lose their power. And I think that's that's so true because when while we don't know that they're there, then they ca- they carry on kind of pushing us and and governing what we do, don't they? I mean, I, I run workshops and I say to people, "What are you afraid of? You know, what what's blocking you?" And that a lot of them say, "Oh, I'll never be able to have fun without alcohol." You know, that's a big one, isn't it? That's a big limiting belief. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I did because I was the party girl. You know, I go. I was the one who stayed out till everyone went home. I was always the last one standing. Always the last one looking for a bottle of wine on girls' weekends. Always the one who wanted to dance until the end. And so for me, that definitely was. I guess what happened was I had to be open to the possibility. Sometimes it starts with being open to the possibility that you can still have fun without drinking. So I, I started off there and and then I thought what I have to do is I've got to start experiencing events and see what it feels like. So I'd start to do that. So I remember one of the first dinner parties I went to without drinking, we had people over and everyone else was drinking. Often what would happen at the dinner parties is we would then put music on afterwards and we'd all dance and, you know, choose our favourite songs or whatever. This was just before COVID <laughs> when we couldn't have people over. <laughs> and anyway. The first night, I remember even during the night, I'd gone back to the kitchen bench and I remember thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I'm actually having a really good time. I'm present, I'm happy, I'm still enjoying dancing, I'm having good conversations. I felt this real surge of just belief. I was like, this, why have I been telling myself that I, it's actually the people that I'm with that are fun and the activities. It's not absolutely, the and so that gave me no. some confidence, huge confidence to then continue to, you know, to push through and try other things. And the thing is, you know what? Some nights are boring, and they're just boring, and that's okay. Drinking mm. doesn't make them any better, right? Sometimes you are in the company of people you don't enjoy so much, and you know what? I like the fact now if I'm I'm not drinking. I can drive. I can leave when I want to. I don't have to stay. I'm in so much more control. So I think for me, I realized that the limiting the limiting beliefs that I had were just those. They were just there and I hadn't even tried them out really. And once I started trying them out and experimenting and being open to a new way of living, 
then I realized that they weren't true. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. Yeah, I mean, the experiment approach is brilliant. You know, we, we have to be curious. And for me, my, my limiting belief was I can't socialize without alcohol. And how I overcame that was I forced myself to socialize without alcohol for months, you know. And to be honest, a lot of those evenings were excruciating, but I kept going. I would journal them afterwards, tick it off as another challenge. And gradually, you know, like you, I had a moment when I thought, oh, what a nice evening I had and I wasn't drinking, you know, who knew it's possible? Because mm. we give alcohol so much credit for the good times, don't we? You know, you said it yourself, you said you realized that it was the people you were with and the occasion, it was nothing to do with what was in your glass. You know, we've, we've got this, this, we just give it so much credit, I think, that uh, it's it's responsible and it's not a magic potion, is it? It's just It's just ethanol that's poisoning us. <laughs> I think that's you know that that's very true. We do give it so much power, and as does the society and the community that we grow up in. So it is very much there's so many layers that you know feeds into even our dependence on alcohol because we are being shown it from a very young age that to enjoy all these you know functions to enjoy mm-hmm. life people drink to enjoy these things so Catherine if if there's someone listening to this that wants to give up alcohol and they're they're binge drinkers or they drink every day and but they just don't really know how to get started what what would you advise well I wouldn't advise just stopping straight away what I would advise is just to Start dipping your toe in the water, start reading some books, start listening to people's stories. I think that's where I got a lot of inspiration from as well. Maybe join some of the sober communities and just start listening in and seeing what people are talking about. And really, it's just being open and curious to new information. If you've got friends who've stopped drinking or who aren't drinking as much, you know, ask them some questions maybe try and have you know maybe one or two alcohol free days a week and see how you feel see how you wake up the next day but i just start with small things rather than trying to do something too big or stopping drinking for a long period of time or you know giving yourself a big aim it's more about just i think changing your perspective and being open to um new information and i guess Annie's book, This Naked Mind, is a really good place to start because there's so much interesting information in there about um, how her program works, but also about alcohol and its effects on the body and the brain and the emotions and our sleep. And any of that information will change the way you think about drinking. Even if you don't stop drinking, you might drink one drink less a day. And that is all good positive change. Yes, and in terms of um, binge drinkers, often the piece of advice that I do offer is that binge drinkers generally seem to have talked themselves out of the fact that they have a drinking problem. They often see themselves as normalish drinkers because it has been normalised in society. And so for me, one of the turning points was really self-responsibility for a drinking problem and that binge drinking is as much of a problem as other um, alcohol use disorders. And I think once binge drinkers realise that, that actually helps them to take steps to start to look at their own patterns of drinking. What happens is binge drinkers feel like because they don't drink every day and that they don't have a physical dependence on alcohol, that they don't have a problem. But this isn't true at all. Basically, periods of abstinence and taking time away from alcohol feeds into this 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 kind of binge drinking cycle that um, that we get ourselves into. And so, I often take them through work of trying to you know understand that cycle, what they've what they've fed into it, how they've often 
taken themselves away from drinking for periods of time, then they've felt okay again. They've wanted to try moderations, often part of the cycle as well, um, and then ending up in a binge again. And binge drinkers often want to try moderation and see if that works for them. But I guess from my experience, most binge drinkers don't do moderation very well. The off switch isn't there and is also doing some work on thoughts and beliefs to, I guess, become more comfortable with the fact that they are ready to choose maybe to go alcohol-free for a period of time um, to see what that feels like rather than expecting that moderation is their way out of a problem. Yeah, that that's great advice. Thank you. Yeah, I think um, I love the term sober curious, uh, and I think that's that's the best place to start, as you say. You know, get sober curious. Read Annie's book. You know, look at, uh, listen to the podcast, educate yourself, and then you know, I think your people will have such a drive then to to change because we we've been manipulated, and and for me that was what Annie's book taught me, you know, we've been manipulated for decades by the liquor industry, by the marketing that she knows very well. So, you know, let, let's get smart, you know, especially us women that are putting ourselves at risk of breast cancer. I am passionate about breast cancer awareness. And so for any, any female that's listening, any reduction of drinking will lessen your risk of breast cancer. Just also to be aware that moderate to low Levels of drinking also increase your risk of breast cancer. And so there are no safe levels of drinking when it comes to breast cancer. So thank you, Catherine. That was so interesting. Let's pull out a few important points from that conversation. Catherine was a teenage drinker. With a friend, she got through a bottle of gin and a packet of cigarettes at the tender age of 14. The results were not pretty and involved a lot of vomiting, but did not deter her. As she said, drinking is so normalised in Australia that she almost felt an obligation to push through these early painful experiments until she got to a place where she was actually enjoying it. And she did. In fact, she discovered that once she started drinking, she didn't really have an off switch. And now that she works with a lot of binge drinkers in her coaching career, she hears many of them say that they don't have an off switch. I certainly never had one, so I guess that makes me a binge drinker, but I was also a daily drinker. So Catherine would be in a cycle. She would go for it, she would recover, she would go for it, and she would recover. Catherine didn't really see this as a problem at the time, even when she started having blackouts at 16. Some of those blackouts involved driving, but she could go for weeks without drinking, and challenges like dry January were easy for her but she would always see these dry periods as permission to go on a binge before and afterwards. As she looks back on those short periods of abstinence, she realises that they did absolutely nothing to help her understand her binge drinking habit. Another problem with those short periods of abstinence is that you never actually get to the stage where you start to feel some real benefits from your sobriety. Women need to understand that binge drinking is particularly dangerous and it can take us up to a month for our liver to recover from a heavy session. And most of us tend to think that once the hangover has gone, we can start drinking again. But all that's doing is piling more damage on top of the existing damage. Catherine and I spent far too much time in the moderation trap as we couldn't imagine our lives without alcohol. Even if we white-knuckled our moderation for a while, the binge drinking would always return. We are both quite health-conscious, so can now look back and appreciate the irony of going gluten-free, eating organic, doing yoga, exercising daily, and then drinking far too much. We are prepared to do all sorts of other things, even run marathons, so long as they don't take our wine away. Catherine always imagined she would grow out of her binge drinking, but by the age of 42, she realised she'd been stuck in this pattern for nearly 30 years and something would have to change. In fact, there were two incidents in her 40s which were a catalyst for that change. She got drunk at her brother's wedding, fell over, hurt her hand, and then had a row with her mother. 
The second incident was a family holiday, where she frightened her children by being so drunk she couldn't even get up the stairs. The next day she sat on the beach and cried. She realised she would have to let go. She would have to quit drinking. I call this the moment of truth, and it comes to many of us. That feeling of, I'm done, I just can't do this anymore. Catherine joined the alcohol experiment with Annie Grace with the intention of trying a year of sobriety. She learned a lot and got huge comfort from the community and realised that she was not alone in this. It was not her fault that she got addicted to an addictive substance. We both agreed that the recovery community is special and we love being trailblazers for the alcohol-free lifestyle. Like me, Catherine is a breast cancer survivor and she talks of the moment she was diagnosed. She reflected on the fact that her default position for dealing with trauma was usually to drink. But in fact, this time she realised that she needed all her mental and physical strength to deal with this challenge. My breast cancer diagnosis was way back in 2006. I was still drinking and I remember seeing it as the perfect opportunity to slip into victim mode and step up the drinking. Neither of us realised just how strong the link is between heavy drinking and breast cancer. In fact, just three or four drinks a week will increase your risk of breast cancer by 15%. So it was unsurprising that I got breast cancer after putting away a bottle of wine a night for decades. Many ladies in our community have had breast cancer and it's nearly always been estrogen driven. Alcohol increases the amount of estrogen in our bodies. Catherine actually took comfort from her decision to quit drinking as she realised that she'd be reducing her risk of a recurrence of her breast cancer. She trained as a naked mind coach and loves helping people to change their lives. She uses three pillars to help people change their relationship with alcohol. The first pillar is knowledge. Be curious, learn everything you can, throw the book at it as we say. The second pillar is emotion. Challenge those limiting beliefs, change your thoughts and create new neural pathways. Pillar number three is action. As Catherine says, once we question our beliefs and change our thoughts, our subconscious will kick in and help us to take the actions we need to. Catherine's tips for newbies, dip your toe into sobriety, join sober communities, listen and learn, and of course, Annie Grace's book, The Naked Mind, is a great place to start this journey. We talked about binge drinkers, and the interesting thing about binge drinkers is that they often don't even realise that they are problem drinkers. They see themselves as normal drinkers who go over the top now and again. I absolutely get this because I was in this category. So the first step is to accept that even if you go for weeks without drinking, but then sometimes go over the top and don't seem to have an off switch, you probably do need to make some changes. So if you'd like to work with Catherine, then please go to her website, thealcoholmindsetcoach.com. I'll put it in the show notes. Here at Tribe Sober, we've been developing our online course called Kickstart Your Sober Life. June is beta month and we have a team of Tribe Sober members testing the course. We'll be making some final tweaks and then it'll be launched in July. So watch this space. The online course will be offered at a special launch price for Tribe Sober members. So this is a great time to join our tribe. Just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. So let me finish with a message from one of our chat rooms. This is a message from Angela. So tonight, four weeks ago, I had my last bottle and a half of red wine. I consciously drank it, knowing that the next day, my 51st birthday, I would begin a new journey. It would be exciting, entering the complete unknown, and hence an adventure of epic proportions. I don't know if the wine witch is just sleeping or waiting for a moment of weakness to appear, but honestly, I look at my calendar and I'm beaming with pride looking at all those coloured squares. It's been a breathtaking journey so far. Deep, dream-filled sleep, 
Today I described it as if the memories and trauma of the past seven years are filing themselves. I seem to be unconsciously working through lots of it as I indulge in REM sleep. I've been fully present for a month. No fuzzy tiredness. Oh, how I love to call my hangovers tired. I've been so productive at work and I've been busy daily getting the chores done. Present for my children, way less irritable and grumpy. And I've started to journey a fairly new relationship in a completely different way. It feels like my relationship is healthy. I'm rational, less emotional and actually really nice to be around. I'm no longer finding my personality after a few drinks, writing late night WhatsApps that I need to apologize for the next day. I honestly didn't believe I'd feel this amazing. I've set my sights on day 66, then today 100, and then who knows. But today I'm basking in the success of four weeks sober. Well, that's wonderful, Angela. Many congratulations and keep us posted how it goes. As we've been talking about binge drinking, this week's freebie is an extract from a British documentary which is called Is Binge Drinking Really That Bad? Well, spoiler alert, yes it is. If you'd like me to send you that recording, then just send an email to janet at tribesober.com and I'll send it to you via WeTransfer right away. So thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow us and share the podcast. I'll be back next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit, and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.